Hey, thanks for tuning in to Cross Defense. Today on the show, we're talking about being straightforward and being honest and how this relates to the idol of evangelism. I don't know if you've heard that phrase. As we take up a listener's comment and we prepare for next week's episode, having taken up last week's comment from a listener about Canada's suicide cult known as MADE. All of that and more coming up in this episode of Cross Defense. Welcome to another episode of Cross Defense, where we aim to equip the mind, excite the imagination, and comfort the soul, all with God's Word. I'm your host, Reverend Tyrell Bramwell, the pastor of St. Mark Lutheran Church out here in Ferndale, California. Today, we're talking about our sophisticated idol of evangelism and how it's allowing evil to rise up in our country, in the West, in the world, perhaps. If during the course of the show, should you decide you'd like to contact me with your questions, your comments, your biblical brit bits of brilliance, easy for me to say, you can do so by going to stmarksferndale.com slash contact. That's S-T-M-A-R-K-S ferndale.com slash contact. That's what Mercedes did, and this is what Mercedes said. The show associating with pagans? Well said, Pastor. Thank you for upholding creationism. And in a second message, Dear Pastor Bramwell, I have listened to you on Cross Defense for the first time discussing entertainment, and I'm so grateful. It's a pity we don't have more pastors speaking so straightforwardly and honestly. God bless, and please keep up the good work, by all means. It is a pleasure to be of service, Mercedes. Thank you for listening to the show, first of all, and secondly, for your words of encouragement. And while you've blessed me, I'm also disturbed. I think we all should be to think of other pastors not speaking in a straightforward and honest way. And me, myself, I know as I reflect on your words and I think about my interaction, my engagement on a daily basis, and I wonder, could I have been more straightforward? Could I have been more honest in my engagement as pastor, as Christian person? All of us should ask these questions. The old-timers, the old Lutherans, they talked about this in regard to preaching, saying that a pastor's preaching needs to contain nothing but God's Word. And they would say, pure and unalloyed, <laughs> unalloyed. We're going to use this comment, Mercedes, to springboard us into a conversation on what's been called the idol of evangelism. The context and, con and conclusion of this show is pertinent, so pay attention, to last episode's question from our dear Canadian sister, Angela. If you haven't heard that question. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go take a listen to last week's episode regarding how one can stand up specifically against the maid suicide cult in Canada. No, that's not a bunch of maids committing suicide. That is medically assistance, medical, <laughs> there's no Lee there, medical assistance in dying. That's how they get the I for maid. So medically 
insist i can't say it medical assistance in dying that's what it is made it's a weird kind of uh, acronym makes me think of when uh the uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. first came out on TV, and they really wanted to explain the, the S.H.I.E.L.D. acronym, and they have it all out there in the show, and the one guy is just like, man, somebody really wanted that to say S.H.I.E.L.D. I think someone really wanted this to say made for some really disturbing reason. But that's what we talked about last week with Angela's question in the first segment of the show, and we are praying about how Angela and other Christians in Canada can stand up against this evil— and so this is actually part of that, as we're prayerfully considering how all Christians can stand up against the evil we see in front of us, we are going to take up Mercedes' question, or Mercedes' comment, actually, it's not a question, her comment about being straightforward and honest. We're going to use that by way of preparation for another week, and then next week we're going to, we're going to tackle Angela's question specifically about Canada's MADE program. So we'll take that up next week. All Christians, all Christians are called to speak honestly, are we not? Of course we are. But given what James says, it behooves pastors to be extra diligent in their knowing nothing but Christ and Him crucified when we speak in our preaching office, when we preach from the pulpit God's Word, James 3.1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And 1 Corinthians 2 also comes to mind as we consider speaking straightforward and honestly. And I, when I came to you, Paul says, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. And that's Sophias in the Greek. Sophia, sophistication, sophisticated, philosophy. The root is there in all those words. No, Paul, Paul didn't want to wax philosophic. When he came to our Christian ancestors, the church in Corinth, he was straightforward and honest. He said, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Mercedes, you paid me far too great a compliment when you called me straightforward. I thank you greatly. Thank you. Because it's a hard thing these days for all Christians and indeed for pastors who are publicly proclaiming the word of God and then privately delivering it to their people as well. Perhaps it's harder for some more than others, because we're all different. But pastors especially need to be diligent in the discipline of speaking direct truth, as Paul said. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible or, or persuasive, perhaps is a better translation, Plausible words, persuasive words of wisdom, Sophia. But in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. 
That's the more well-known passage, isn't it? Perhaps you're familiar with that. But Paul says the same thing during his trial before King Agrippa in Acts 26, 22 to 23. To this day, he says, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and to great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And you got to love, you got to love what the unbelievers must think about learned, highly schooled pastors, such as we have in Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, equipped in mind with all their education and yet proclaiming what's been known to all since the Old Testament and the New Testaments were recorded. It's what Festus says to Paul. And as Paul was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. What great stuff we got there. So let's not stop there. Let's keep reading. You guys following along? I hope you're in your Bibles, Acts 26, 26. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly, Paul says. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. He's speaking of Christ's crucifixion and resurrection. It didn't happen in some corner of the world somewhere, but at the capital of Israel. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? Paul asks. I know that you believe, he answers. I know you believe, King Agrippa. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether, Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. That is, be a Christian, but not one bound up and in prison, if it be the Lord's will. So yeah, he says, I would, and not just you, but everyone who hears my words, that I'm speaking straightforwardly and honestly. What's the instruction that the apostle gave young Pastor Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15? Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. That's some profound instruction right there. And as we think about the pastoral vocation, but not just the pastoral vocation, especially the pastoral vocation, but the Christian vocation, how we are all called to share with our neighbor, whoever our neighbor may be, the word of Christ. We think about what Angela's going through up there in Canada and the entire church in Canada, trying to, to resist and to rise up and to stand up against 
this wretched evil that is killing people. And here we have this word that says we are to be rightly handling the word of truth. And of course, as we continue, every pastor is aware of the Old Testament words of our Lord against prophets who speak anything less than God's honest truth, which does include omitting things, the uncomfortable teachings that we really don't want to have to say to people, or even soft-shoeing around them so as to avoid them, emphasis on that motivation, so that we, pastor, don't have to deal with it, and so we soft-shoe and we beat around the bush. I think we've talked or referenced Jeremiah, talked about or referenced Jeremiah on this show in, in regards to this sort of thing before. It's the passage my mind goes to most quickly, but there is also the Ezekiel passage that deals with this in similar ways and similar words. Flip with me now to Jeremiah 23. Let's take a look at this. We're going to read the entire thing, all of Jeremiah 23. Woe to the shepherds, who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. Ooh, right out the gate, right? Woe to the shepherds, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds." declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds, pastors over them, who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed. Neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely, and this is the name by which he will be called, The Lord is our righteousness." Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives, who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. But as the Lord lives, who brought up and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them, they, then they shall dwell in their own land. Concerning the prophets, my heart is broken within me. All my bones shake. I am like a drunken man, like a man overcome by wine because of the Lord and because of his holy words. For the land is full of adulterers. Because of the curse, the land mourns, and the pastures of the wilderness are dried up. Their course is evil. And their might is not right. Both prophet and priest 
are ungodly. Even in my house, I have found their evil, declares the Lord. Therefore, their way shall be to them like slippery paths in the darkness, into which they shall be driven and fall. For I will bring disaster upon them in the year of their punishment, declares the Lord. In the prophets of Samaria, I saw an unsavory thing. They prophesied by Baal and led my people Israel astray. But in the prophets of Jerusalem, I have seen a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns from his evil. All of them have become like Sodom to me and its inhabitants like Gomorrah. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets, Behold, I will feed them with bitter food and give them poisoned water to drink, for from the prophets of Jerusalem ungodliness has gone out into all the land. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. For who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and to hear his word? Or who has paid attention to his word and listened? Behold, the storm of the Lord, wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest. It will burst upon the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intents of his heart. In the latter days, you will understand it clearly. I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them Yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words to my people, and they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. Let's pause right there, take a break, and when we come back, we'll pick up with Jeremiah 23, verse 23. You're listening to Cross Defense. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Put this wisdom of God into practice by listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple, and faithful pastors from around the world help sharpen my faith in Christ every episode. I know you'll be blessed by listening and studying God's Word with us. Listen to Sharper Iron weekdays at 8 a.m. on KFUO and on demand at KFUO.org, the KFUO radio app, and anywhere you get your podcasts. And we're back with more from Jeremiah 23, 23, as we discuss pastors and all Christians being straightforward and honest. And in relation to our upcoming counsel for our sister in Canada, dealing with the suicide cult known as 
made. Jeremiah 23, 23. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall there be lies in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies, and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart, who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams that they tell one another? even as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream, but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat, declares the Lord. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord. And like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces, Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who steal my words from one another. Behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who use their tongues and declare, declares the Lord. Behold, I am against those who prophesy lying dreams, declares the Lord, and who tell them and lead my people astray by their lies and their recklessness when I did not send them or charge them. So they do not profit this people at all, declares the Lord. When one of his people or a prophet or a priest asks you, what is the burden of the Lord? You shall say to them, you are the burden and I will cast you off, declares the Lord. And as for the prophet, priest, or one of the people who says the burden of the Lord, I will punish that man and his household. Thus shall you say every one to his neighbor and every one to his brother. What has the Lord answered? Or what has the Lord spoken? But the burden of the Lord you shall mention no more, for the burden is every man's own word. And you pervert the words of the living God, the Lord of hosts, our God. Thus you shall say to the prophet, What has the Lord answered you? Or, What has the Lord spoken? But if you say the burden of the Lord, thus says the Lord, Because you have said these words, the burden of the Lord, when I sent you to say, You shall not say the burden of the Lord, Therefore, behold, I will surely lift you up and cast you away from my presence, you and the city that I gave to you and to your fathers. And I will bring upon you everlasting reproach and perpetual shame, which shall not be forgotten. The entire chapter of Jeremiah 23. Great stuff that teaches us to say only what God says to say all of what God says, no more, but also no less. How is, dear saint, how is a 
steward to be found. Faithful, speaking truth, and as Paul said, without some sort of prerequisite of sophistication. Friends, I just finished Eric Metaxas's letter to the American church. Metaxas wrote the Bonhoeffer tome, maybe you're familiar with that in our Lutheran circles, Bonhoeffer, pastor, martyr, prophet, spy, did you read that book? I think he also maybe wrote something on Luther himself, but uh, a local resident of here of Humboldt County called the church to express her support after hearing that I and Christ's beloved winged lion Christians here at St. Mark were standing on the truth against the LGBTQ legion in our area. And she asked if I had read Eric Metaxas' book. I had not. I have now. Metaxas, having done a lot of research into Bonhoeffer in the days of World War II, shows a lot of parallels between the church of our day and the church of Bonhoeffer's day, which didn't speak against the things happening in Germany as the Nazis came into being, rose to power. Now, to be clear, hear me in no uncertain terms, I don't think Metaxas has a completely accurate read on Luther and Luther's teaching, especially when it comes to the book of James and some of his... his uh, disputes with uh, faith and works. I think there are some problems in the book specifically on that front. So I would advise anybody who's reading that this book, hearing my voice, and then going to read that book, I would advise you to be extremely cautious with how Metaxas deals or, or interprets Luther and presents Luther. I don't think it's a fair shakedown. But, but, Metaxas does rightly, I would say, identify the erroneous silence the American church has today in the face of obvious, unrepentant evil. So in light of Mercedes' comment, which is extremely humbling, and in uh, also in, in lieu of, or not in lieu of, in, in relation to Angela's comment that we got last episode and will fully answer next episode, let's deal with what Metaxas talks about with the idol of evangelism. We're not always being straightforward and honest in the American church today. Case in point, personal anecdotal case in point. I publicly referred to a group of openly unrepentant LGBTQ activists who were planning and promoting a sit-in at St. Mark Lutheran Church, the church I serve, on a Sunday morning during the divine service, they were going to come and they were going to fill up the pews and do a sit-in. Now, they didn't show up, but instead they joined the rest of the unrepentant activists, LGBTQ activists and their allies, whatever kind of things, you language and connections you want to make with all that those people. They instead went and joined them at Ferndale City Hall where they were hosting a protest that they called a day of non-judgment or non-judgment day, specifically mocking Jesus, who will come back on judgment day. And they did other things as well, celebrating communion being perhaps the worst blasphemous 
representation, of misrepresentation of the Christian church. The entire thing was, well, they say on their website, satire, but it was blasphemous mockery of Christ and his church. They celebrated communion with peace rings, representing Johnny Cash's ring of fire, and they even sang Johnny Cash's ring of fire, and, and their communion celebration was in communion with the sainted Johnny Cash, and all kinds of horribly wretched things to do in complete and open, unrepentant disobedience to Christ. And so I called them unrepentant in my discussion about the event, because they are and remain, as far as I have seen, outwardly unrepentant actively working against Christ's church. But calling them that is what ruffled some clerical feathers among my peers. And I found myself in a conversation with brother pastors about how I knew these people were unrepentant. I was being encouraged not to snuff what little faith they might have within. The flame might go out. Be very, very careful, Pastor Bramwell, Brother Bramwell. As if any word of law that I would speak would hurt these unrepentant activists. And that I would be sinning if I spoke too harshly God's word. Not my word, but God's word. And so, yeah, it left me scratching my head a bit. Thankfully, thankfully, I was also teaching a Christian at that same time in a catechism class about the office of the keys and was reminded myself of the Q&A on John 20, 22, in that section of the small catechism. In John 20, 22, Jesus says to the disciples, as he breathes on them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And the question for the Christian to consider is, what do you believe according to these words? And the answer is that I believe that when the called ministers of Christ deal with us by his divine command, in particular, when they exclude openly unrepentant sinners from the Christian congregation and absolve those who repent of their sins and want to do better, this is just as valid and certain, even in heaven, as if Christ our dear Lord dealt with us himself. Now, wouldn't you know it? It is okay <laughs> to make calls based on externals and engage the openly unrepentant as they are openly unrepentant and to do it without second-guessing yourself. Hmm. And this is exactly what Eric Metaxas identifies in his letter to the American church, as the idol of evangelism. It's anything but straightforward and honest. And, I would say, confessional Lutherans understand that this is what results from a lack 
of understanding the proper distinction between God's law and God's gospel, that there is a right time and a right place for both of these things. But it's the gasoline in the car called gospel reductionism, this idol of evangelism. There is no place for God's good and holy word of law, his no, but everything must be gospel-y, right? This is gospel reductionism. Boil it all down to the gospel. Take out any of the no word, make it all yes. The idol of evangelism thinks the law is a turnoff that will drive non-Christians away. Not even, it won't reach them, but it'll certainly it'll drive them away. And so we always have to to walk around with a fake Joel Osteen smile, smelling like lavender blossoms, which I do at the very moment. No, I don't, but it sure would be nice if I did. What it does is it puts tax in our mouths as we end up pitting evangelism against discipleship. It's the idea that has turned doctrine into a bad word for many contemporary American Christians. It's, in reality, adolescent Christianity, where Jesus is that cool uncle, you know, the one who used to buy you and your buddies booze on the weekends, just as long as you didn't tell mom, so that you wouldn't think he was lame. It makes Jesus into that guy. This is a childish way to see the law and the gospel, and to see God's work in evangelism, and God's word that tells us that what is required of a faithful steward is to be found faithful. Metaxas puts it this way, the idol of evangelism may well cause us never to say anything that might offend someone, because we fear that the offense might drive that person from saving faith in Jesus Christ. But if we adopt this myopic and unbiblical view, we will essentially be paralyzed, unable to do any of the many other things which God calls us to do. He continues, of course, as extraordinarily vital as evangelism is, God calls us to more. And in doing those other things, we can rest assured he is using whatever he has asked us to do for his eternal and evangelistic purposes, even if we don't always see the full picture of what those purposes are. God, God calls us sometimes, he says, for example, to speak truth to power, and he gives us a memorable picture of John the Baptist doing that very thing with Herod, as well as the astonishing picture of Jesus doing it with the religious leaders of his time. So pay attention here, Angela, in Canada, dear Canadian Angela, can I call you that from now on? <laughs> if John the Baptist and Jesus only cared about the salvation of those to whom they were speaking, could they have said much of what they said? And the answer is an implied no. Do we, saints, do we dare to think that we care more about souls than God? John the Baptist spoke truth to power, to the authority, he lost his head for it. And then Metaxas quotes Jesus, calling the Pharisees whitewashed tombs, and says Jesus actually tells them that the devil is their father. <laughs> I 
can we imagine anything more aggressive and awful to say to someone? Pretty straightforward and honest. Eh, Mercedes? Amen. Did Jesus not realize that anything he said that might be so extremely insulting could push them away from finding true faith? Did he not realize that he was breaking this taboo? You're going to drive him away, Jesus. Jesus was engaged in truth-telling. And in its own way, this is part of what will indeed eventually bring some people to salvation. Because of the idol of evangelism, there are many today who refuse to comment on anything controversial or political if they think it might conceivably interfere with the possibility of leading someone to salvation. They forget that God gives them other duties, including loving our neighbors by speaking the truth. Straightforward and honest. Let's take another break. We'll come back and we'll continue with some more from Eric Metaxas's book, Letter to an American Church. And we will deal with that as Lutherans, rightly distinguishing between law and gospel. You're listening to Cross Defense. Hello, friends. I'm Pastor Phil Boo, host of Thy Strong Word. Each weekday morning at 11 a.m., join me and a guest pastor as we explore God's Word, which strengthens our faith and guides our lives. You can listen over the air, online at kfuo.org, or through your favorite podcasting app. Just search for Thy Strong Word, only from KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I agree with what I read in the letter to an American church by Eric Metaxas that we become so desperate to show those listening to us that we are exactly like them and that we do not judge them. Judge not lest you be judged, they always yell at us, that we forget that these are not the only things worth being concerned about. We hear over and over of pastors who have taken this tack with tragic results. The tats and the skinny jeans, Metaxas points out, the smoke machines and celebrities in the green room, and all of our professions of non-judgmentalism are not quite enough, not quite enough to bring people to Jesus. At some point, we may be required to say something that causes people to stop nodding along with us and might even cause them to walk away from us. When Jesus spoke, of the necessity of us eating his body and drinking his blood, he knew that many would turn away, would say, enough, can't follow this guy anymore, he's crazy, that's a hard teaching, and go back to their lives without him. But he said it anyway. And we know it wasn't a miscalculation on Christ's part, was it? Not at all. And listen to this, my friends. But Jesus trusted his heavenly Father with the eternal souls of those who could not bear his hard teaching. Here's the simple question. Do we? Do we trust our Father to know what he's doing? 
What does Paul write in 1 Corinthians 4.2? I've already referenced it several times. It is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Jesus sent us out, great commission, baptizing to baptize the nations, right? Baptizing and teaching them all that I have commanded. Teaching, discipleship. All. All of Jesus' words. Even the hard ones. Even the ones that say marriage is between a man and a woman. Full stop. Period. Even the words that say we are to do this as he says it. This is my body. This is my blood. And not try to rationalize it away. All of Jesus' words. Whatever may be uncomfortable or, or not sound right to our audiences. We don't have to water down Christ's words. In fact, we are not ever allowed to do that. It is required of stewards that they be found faithful, honest, straightforward. Okay, so we're, we're coming to the end of the show. We're in the last segment already. As we prepare to take up Angela's request for advice for how the church in Canada could, could stand up against Canada's Nazi death program made, we'll hear Metaxas's words on how all of us, whether we're in Canada or America or somewhere else in the world, how all of us can speak up to the very real evils that are rising to power before our very eyes. And they're doing it because we're not speaking up. Because we're afraid in many instances, and there's multiple parts to this and different angles and aspects, but in many instances within the church, the church problem is that Christians are not bold enough to speak the hard but clear words of the Lord that say, that's a sin. And as soon as we're shouted down, judge not lest you be judged, we turn tail and go away rather than reading the next sentence in that pericope that tells us to take the plank out of our own eye so that we can help our brother get the speck out of his. How do you identify a speck in your brother's eye without judgment, without discernment, without saying, hey, I think you got something in your eye. Let me help you get it out. Because that's the very thing that they're calling you out on and saying is judgmental. And so we learn from Jesus that judge not lest you be judged is not the end of the story in that passage. But it is to say judge from a place of humility, a place of grace, just as you will be judged, are judged in baptism, present tense currently right now, by God with grace through the humility of Christ, his humiliation on the cross, where the plank of the cross, it is dealt with so that the speck of your sin can be pulled from your eye. And I quote from Eric Metaxas' book, Our responsibilities as Christians go beyond evangelism. We're dealing with the idol of evangelism. 
We're dealing with being honest and straightforward. We pretend. We would have spoken out for the Jews in Bonhoeffer's day during World War II. Don't we all like to think that we would have been strong enough to stand up for the Jews during the Nazi crimes against humanity, right? But are we speaking out today on the issues that are no less important to God in our time? If not, we're deceiving ourselves. But God is not deceived. On what issues are we ourselves silent and for what reasons? The unborn are being murdered and their body parts sold for profit. Are we not to mention this atrocity, this evil, this sinfulness, for fear of driving someone away from God? Or do we ourselves not quite believe it or wish to believe it? So, very young children in schools are being fed pernicious ideas on the subject of sexuality. Ideas with which their young minds are not quite able to cope and to which their own parents object. And I would add, ideas that are corrupting them and confusing them and driving up the things, things like depression within the teens and children at large and suicide rates, anxiety over this world. I was just talking with someone last night about how all these people, and this is here in Humboldt County, but it's across America, if not the West, Western world. We have here in our, in our town of Eureka, the city of Eureka next to Ferndale, you know, the mayor and the county supervisors and all the, you know, the big wigs and the politicians and whatever. They're virtue signaling all their, their wonderful support for drag queens and transgender people and all this kind of thing. But what are they doing to the very people on whose backs... They're being seen as loving and kind and generous and helpful. They're treating the trans people with such maliciousness as they're getting the accolades for being such a lovingly kind, supportive, understanding, inclusive, diverse, equitable person. But to do that, they're placing someone who used to be sure of who they were, who used to or maybe was still developing their, as a young person their identity of who they are in this world that would that would they would grow up and they would be sure and certain and and be firm in their identity of the way all people always have throughout hi human history they're taking that person from in that certain assured place and they're intentionally placing them into this messed up ideological world where daily they're wondering who they are and daily needing to be affirmed in their identity, daily needing all of us to celebrate their transness or to whatever they may be in whatever the situation, but they're daily needing to be reinforced in this message. Why? Because it is false. So these, these people are standing on the shoulders of, of the very victims of their virtue signaling. It's an atrocious evil. It's an atrocious evil, even apart from physical mutilations and the spiritual confusion and, and the mental and emotional strain being put on these people. For, so what? So some mayor 
can announce an artist of the year that's a drag queen and get accolades from her her friends at the the wine and cheese party afterward. Why? This is awful. And it's starting in schools. As teenagers are susceptible to to trends and fads and what's popular and what's in and all that, and, and they're getting it online with their social media and the whole nine yards, it's all mixed in. And, it's, and we're seeing this contagion, this very real contagion, social peer pressure issue that's driving people coming out of solid families who otherwise would never have even encountered this evil, and they're then going to be suicidal in a matter of months. Metaxas continues, our children are being so confused by sexual activists that they agree to have their bodies mutilated, as I was just referencing, so that they can never become the men and women God has created them to be. Socialistic and communistic ideas, he says, are being pushed everywhere, agree. These will end up harming the poor more than anyone else, although those pushing these ideas boldly spread the lie that any who oppose these wicked ideas secretly hate the poor. It's again, see the upside down and backwards of this. Governor Newsom loves to say he's for the poor. And California has the, the worst, I would think, I don't know the actual stats, but we have a horrible, atrocious poverty rate and homelessness and tent cities and, and all of that is intermingled with the drug usage and all this kind of stuff. The politician gets the accolades on the shoulders of those, standing on the backs, on the skulls of those he claims to be loving. Are we really to keep silent about all of these things, Metaxas asks? Is it not possible that those whom we wish to evangelize, to bring Jesus to, are looking to us in the church and get this, us who claim to have no fear but of God. Ooh, that's convicting, is it not? Looking to us to speak boldly on these issues and to fight for the truth as we see it while there is yet time, he says. Well, let's dwell on that for a moment because that is absolutely the case. Are we to keep silent when there are people looking to us? They know we claim that we will not bend the knee to anyone but Christ, that we will not say Caesar is Lord, that we have no fear of the, the abuse of authority, that we are willing to bear our cross. We are willing to take it up, to be crucified upside down because we're not deserving to be crucified like Christ, just like Peter, right? We're, we're willing to do this. Feed me to the lions. Burn me at the stake. Whatever it may be, I fear nothing but God. I will not fear he who can kill my body, but instead I will fear he who can kill my body and my soul. They're looking to us to be these people who claim to have this kind of fearlessness, and then they see our lips are tied. Our mouths are shut, zipped up tight, locked up. Because we're afraid. We're afraid not of what God would have us uh, have you know, think of us or judge us as. As Paul says, we should be concerned about him. If I were still worried about what men think of me, I would be a servant of man. But I care about what God thinks of me because I am a servant of Christ. 
But that's not the case for us. We are more concerned about our, our elderly neighbor and how she might wag her finger at us when we walk by. I just don't understand you, Pastor. You cause so much trouble in this town. We're thinking about that. And so it keeps our mouth shut. Or whatever the case may be for you, obviously you can tell. That's one that I've heard. <laughs> we're dealing with lots of this here in Ferndale. And every single day we're growing stronger and we're learning as a church not to care about what man thinks and their false twisting of scripture as they always will try to use scripture to silence us just like Satan has always done. And we are trying by God's power, by his movement to be those for our neighbor who live what they believe who truly don't fear anyone but God. To be able to speak boldly on all these issues that are currently sweeping our nation and causing havoc because no one's stopping them with their words. Metaxas asks this final question, is not perhaps the very thing that will lead these souls to God, the God we worship, if we obviously so love him that we are willing to live in the way we say we want to live? So what he's saying is, do we have to have the idol of evangelism and use that as our excuse for why we're not speaking up because we might drive someone away? Or can we just forget about that for a second, let God worry about them, and we just remain faithful as stewards are to be found, letting God decide how our faithfulness will reach people? So I can testify that Metaxas has nailed this conclusion. The Lord is blessing St. Mark right now as we are being ostracized and hated by all of our neighbors. We are reaching people. And we ourselves are growing in our faith. Straightforward and honest, Mercedes said. Nothing but Christ and him crucified for the forgiveness of sins. If this, if this is the accusation against me, as it is from our dear listener, Mercedes, well then, praise be to God. It is not me who's doing it. It is God. And I thank you, Mercedes, for the wonderful compliment. And I pray for all of God's people that all of us would be found to receive such a compliment. Though we know we are unworthy, that it is God in us that is doing the work. May they say of us, at least they were straightforward and honest, proclaiming Christ and Him crucified. My friends, have a blessed Easter, and we'll talk next week. Cross Defense is a production of KFUO Radio. Find past episodes and support Cross Defense at kfuo.org.